Hello, this is Dr. Amy Lindsay, and I'm here to remind you that the information in this podcast is not medical or other professional advice. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. You should not rely on anything you hear as a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional who is familiar with your personal situation. Listening to this podcast may, however, give you a sense of belonging, make you spit take your coffee, realize that DJs can do more than play music, uplift you during a shit day, teach you that sometimes doctors swear too much, or remind you that you are not alone. John, I sound like an asshole doctor when I say this, but I don't know how you... Isn't there another name for asshole doctor? You people... people who check your asshole? Yeah. <laughs> not a, not a proctologist? Yeah, proct- I, you asshole know, doctor. Thing. Asshole doctor. Um, I don't know how you, um, human non doctor people, non healthcare people, get through your life not <laughs> knowing things I know in my brain. Yeah. Honestly, like not having been through medical school, like I don't, I don't know how I would survive. You don't remember. I don't remember because you were not a doctor before, but you had the, you had sort of the. I was always interested in that stuff. Yeah, so you didn't. Suffer like us more. And my dad went to medical school. Right. And well, he was a medic in the army. Unfortunately, we have WebMD. And uh, <laughs> that does. No, I'm serious. Like, you know, I've had hospital visits before where I was a total dick patient. Yeah. You know, like I I was like telling the nurse, yeah, don't put that in my IV. That's going to lower my blood pressure. Yeah, don't give me that weight. I really think you should do this. And they're just like, what the yeah, fuck? The best was having you <laughs> even in medical school when we had. Henry, because with yeah. my first child, I was calling the nurse every 10 minutes. With the second child, it wasn't just a second child. I had a future doctor in the house. I was not calling every 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I just looked over to you and you give me the, you know, it's okay. Um, for me, I, I think it's, I, we don't know our bodies, right? We don't, we, we, and with injuries or with health stuff, we tend to go one way or the other. Either we hypochondriac it and go on to WebMD and be like, oh, this cough I have, I have Ebola, I'm going to die. You know, like you look it up. It's always horrible. Just look up uh, fatigue. Fatigue. Okay. I'm tired. Fatigue. I'm tired. Could be anything from you're going to die tomorrow to you're fine. You just didn't sleep well. And then there's other times you're just like, meh, I'm fine. There's plenty of us who do that. You know, I, I've had that power through. Yeah. I've had that on many occasions. I, I, so I had a sore, you may remember this. I, oh my sore, God. I just oh had a little, God. I just had yeah. a little sore on my waistband because it's where my, and this is before I evaluated by the way. Oh yeah. Amy is, knows. this is what I'm saying. Like she this is not something I said, Hey, look at this. Because to me it was just like a, Oh, it's just a red mark. And my, where my shorts, you know, from all the running and the sweating just sort of rubbed against me wrong. And I thought, Oh, it's, it's, it was right. Like below my belly button, a little to the right. I'm pointing at it right now. You can't see me. Um, it was right here. And, uh, I'm in right radio. where, I'm right here. This is, this is a podcast right here. Nobody can see I know, see and I've done radio for two decades. It's right <laughs> Nobody here. can see it. <laughs> so I'm so successful. Um, so it was sore and it was more sore and more sore. I was like, Oh, I'm just, I'm a runner. And this is what happens. I looked down on it. It looked a little like maybe an ingrown hair, but maybe just a red sore. So what I'll do is I'll just put a bandaid over it and forget it. <laughs> That's what I did. And not only that, I changed the Band-Aid at some point and put another one on it to forget it because it got loose. So anyway, days go by and days go by and it hurts more and more every day. And I'm now scared to open the Band-Aid to look at what's underneath what's going on. I don't know. And so- Did you cross over to like scared to ask me because I'm going to yell at you go, why didn't you come to- No, I didn't. No, come I, to I didn't. Sooner. I didn't because as soon as I like 
as soon as the day hit where I went, this hurts. And now I'm, this was where I was at. I was scared to open the bandaid now. Now I don't even want to look at it. So when I showed you, that was the first time I had seen it in, I believe. Right. So I, so I came into the room. I'm like, Hey, Amy, I got to talk to you about something. I got a, I got a thing under here. It's really sore. I need you, I need you to look at it. And you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let me see it. You know, and you're casually like, Oh, it's, what is this? You know, no big deal. And I take the Band-Aid off and your reaction, (laughs) I was expecting, I should say, I was expecting, oh, it's fine. You're going to be fine. It's just, don't worry about it. That's usually the reaction with anything I show you. That's true. It's fine. That's what I was waiting for. I took that Band-Aid off and Amy's like, oh, whoa, dude, (laughs) you need to go see someone now. (laughs) I was like, what, what? What? No, 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 no. What are you talking about? Now, I have to tell you, if you do have a doctor in the house, when she says that, that's very scary. It's one thing when your partner just goes, <laughs> yeah, you should see a doctor. That, that looks fucked up. But when your, wi- when your wife doctor says, oh, God, dude, you should go right now. And I, and I said, and even then I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll do my show tomorrow in the morning because I have the show in the morning. It was too late to get a sub. That's how the nature it was like of it. 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, it was late. It was super late for me. And, and, and there's a level. <laughs> I was about to send you to the emergency a room. A fun fact about being a morning DJ is you got to you gotta power through if you don't get somebody in there by 10 p.m. Actually, it's 8 p.m. So anyway. Okay. So I get up the next day. It hurts, clearly. Bandage that fucker up. And I, I go to my job. And then here's where I was bad, Amy, and you've already told me I was bad at this. I didn't go right after my show. Oh my god! I know, I know. We've already had this conversation. We don't have to have it again. I know. And then I just went to some meetings and things. And then I went to th- I went to therapy. Oh, that's right. That's what it was. I'm remembering this now. I went to therapy, which was in is in Fremont, a neighborhood here in Seattle. If you're listening outside, I go to Fremont. I go to my therapy, and I'm sitting there. I'm so uncomfortable. And my therapist, who I mentioned the other day, you know, told me to take a nap because I sounded so tired. God, what does he think of me? Now I'm having this story. I, I'm sitting in there. And I'm, like, I'm in a lot of pain, actually. He said, "What?" I go, "Yeah, I think I'm. This is really bad." And I kind of show him, like this, and he goes, "You got to get to an emergency room." <laughs> and this is a head doctor. <laughs> so now two. Two different kinds of doctors like, you got to go. I'm like, oh, my God, I think you're right, because I'm in a lot of pain right now. And there was a little, uh, what do you call it? The little uh, emergency. Urgent uh, care. Urgent care yeah. deals that you find in the strip malls or whatever. So I, there was one up there, and he pointed me that way. And I go up there, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm in, I'm, I'm in severe pain. And I go in there, and the woman, I go in to see the woman, and she looks at it and goes, whoa. <laughs> it's like, didn't she say clear my schedule? Or oh, something? yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> so I go, yes, you're right. I'm not kidding. I swear to God this happened now that you remind, reminded me of this. I haven't told this story in a long time. She did. She turns like a sitcom and goes, clear my schedule. <laughs> <laughs> we got a live one. Like it was, she was like, oh my God. And partly I think she was kind of psyched, you know, because I don't know what comes in there it, all the time. Let me tell you what, the people who do minor surgeries yeah. love that shit. So she's. I personally. Yeah. I enjoy medicine. Yeah. I don't enjoy minor surgeries. But people who do minor surgeries, God bless you all. They they fucking love that shit. She, They're excited. She, she was the excited. And then she says, this might be too deep for me to be able to perform this. <laughs> I was like, what? And she's holding, yeah. the, she's holding the knife in her hand. Like, yep, yep. I said, if there's any way you can, lady, please do so. Because minor surgeries, there's a scope for depth. It, it was, and then once it gets too deep, you got to go to surgery, right, surgery. Right. Super deep. So she, <laughs> so she puts the needle the in. The stabber the thing? The stabber, this 
like, oh my God. And so my whole area down there is numb. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to pee myself. I won't even know I peed myself. And she's, she's like, it's a, I think it's an ingrown hair and it's gotten infected and it's yeah. gone very, very deep. Yep. And she starts cutting. And you know what I said? Ow. I can feel that. You need to give me more. She goes, okay, sorry. So she gets more. I could feel the knife. Dude, I'm so sorry the if you're scalpel. listening right now. And this yeah. is just troubling to hear, but I did feel the knife go in. So another shot, boom, in my head is like Pulp Fiction. I was like, God, but I don't think it was. So she puts no, she probably gently put, gently it, in put it in because I'm a complete wuss. And I'm like, oh, God. So she's digging in there and digging in there. And I'm just looking away. And I'm like, oh, God, what is happening? And she gets in there. She's like, oh, I got it. And she shows it to me. I actually said I wanted to see it. Because like, mm-hmm. how could it? Be? And it's so long. Yeah. And I think that did that much damage. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, it's really bad. If that, that could have really messed you up. I didn't realize how dangerous this whole thing was. Well, all right. So pause the story for a second. And I'm going to, I'm going to explain this because ingrown hair seems like meh. And then those of you who have had a full on abscess, because that's what I said. When I, when you took that bandaid off and I had the reaction, I'm like, you have an abscess. You yeah. have an ingrown hair you abscess. Need yeah. You need to go now because this is when our bodies are really smart and really dumb at the same time. There's really stupid, really smart bodies. That's what our bodies do. So our bodies will have a reaction to protect you. Like it's your ingrown hair is a, like a foreign object at that point, right? And so your body's building an abscess around it. It's like walling it off. But an abscess is basically just a giant infection that is now walled off inside deep into your body. Like it's not good. And then the infection can get into your blood. And once if it gets into your bloodstream, it's big time trouble. I I was in excruciating pain that next day. Like Mm -hmm. when I talked to you about it that night, it hurt. Yeah. And it looked bad. Yeah. But the next day I was I was in excruciating pain. And so she cuts this out of me and 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 we're done. Right. So you think this is where the story ends, but I had to go pick up my kid from daycare. I'm almost late. Remember? Oh yeah. And, and we moved way out here. So just so you know, we moved the opposite direction of our daycare and we still were not out of there yet. Oh, that's right. So I go he the, was still in daycare, like way, way across town. Across yeah. So when right. I'm like, Oh, I can do that. It'll be fine. And, um, gives me a prescription because I'm still really in pain. pain. I'm in a lot of pain. Cause now I've had surgery. This is going to wear off. And I've been living with Bob, the ingrown hair, for the last two <laughs> weeks of my life. And so um, I I take that prescription and I get in the car. And I'm like, well, I can go get him and I'll go get him. So I go get Henry. Yeah. I drive to the daycare. I, I roll up and they sit, and I see the sprinklers are on, okay? And I get out of the car just like, God, just don't talk to me. Just give me my kid. I got to get the hell out of here. I got to get home. I Just get me home. And they said, oh, my God. <laughs> Mr. Richard, so sorry. It's just been a, 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 we just decided to be outside and get in the water and he has no change of clothes and everything is soaked. And I go, oh my God, oh my God. I still have to go to the drugstore. I to go to the goddamn drugstore. And he he comes up and he's just like a wet rat, just head to toe. And he's holding his How shoes. How old is he? Like three and a half? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Shoes in his hand. Like, um, look at these, dad, you know? And there's no wearing them. There's no socks. He's soaked. And I'm like, okay. And I have maybe an extra shirt or something. I remember I put around him and stuck him in the seat. But then I drive to the to get the the, the prescription. The yeah, I go yeah. to the drugstore. 
I don't know what to do. I can't leave him in the car, you know? So I just go, fuck it, man. So I, 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 let's go. You're going in. And so this kid is wearing like my shirt over him. He's barefoot. He's dripping wet. And I hold his hand. I'm, I'm limping through this drugstore. And now I'm in so much pain. And I go, I'm like, I need these drugs. And don't you look down and you're bleeding through your shirt? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like a movie where you look down and you're like, I oh, don't look at that. And there was like blood there. It was like blood bleeding through your shirt. Because I had to lift him up and everything. Because I was all wet. That was it. I was all wet. So, yeah. And so the a movie where you're like, the guy's like, I'm fine. I don't need anything. You know, and he's been shot. You know, the blood's coming through the bandage. That was me. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So I go in there and they, you know, it'll be 20 minutes. Like, fuck. <laughs> fuck me. Fuck my life. Oh, my God. And I'm sitting there. I'm sitting on the, I'm in the aisle. Because the seats are taken. Of course, they're full of senior citizens getting their drugs. And I'm sitting in the aisle where I'm, I'm like sitting in a section where they've run out of whatever was for sale there. And Henry is going up and down the aisle and he has a bat. He's gotten a bat to this day. This bat. He still has the it bat. Is 20 feet outside of this room that I'm recording. No, we in still right have now. that still bat. Have this bat. It's a little like a. It has a little bat. bug on it. Yeah. It's like rainbow colored. And he's smacking the, the like, he's walking down the aisle smacking things. And I'm not a dad who lets that go. And I'm just like, I don't care. Do whatever you want. Kid, everything. <laughs> and he goes, Can I have this? And it's a giant thing of gummy bears. I'm like, Great. Eat it. I don't care. Can I have an out? <laughs> yep. Open it. Shoplift. I don't give a fuck. I don't care. And so he's just <laughs> grabbing candy. I'm like, Get me some nuts. Just can you get me some nuts? I'm starving. So he gets me some nuts. And I'm eating planters straight out of the thing that I've not paid for. While he's smacking a bat and finally, like, Mrs. Richards, we have your painkiller ready. So I scoop him up. I pay for all this shit. I've bought like $25 in bar gummy bears and guard. bats I mean, yes, and, and planters peanuts, peanuts. And I had a bag of chips. And I'm in the car and I'm, I'm crunched over. I'm just like, Wah. and I get Amy and I'm, I hit the thing and traffic is just shit. I just can't. I'm stuck in traffic. And the thing is up there. And I'm like, Amy, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if we're going to make it. You're like, what's happening? <laughs> so I, I got Henry. I think I should pull the car over. I don't know what to do here. I'm stuck in traffic, I, but I got to get home. I think I can make it. And you stayed with me. You stayed with me through the drive. It was a very slow drive. Thank God traffic was crowded, so I moved slow. So I ate nuts, crouched over, and just got us home. So I get home. I take this painkiller. I, I, I don't look at it. I just take whatever they tell me to take. And all of a sudden, this massive wave of severe depression that I have I haven't experienced uh, that kind of... That's right. I remember yes. what they gave you. They gave you methotrexate. I, I don't know what that is, but it's bad. And I took it <laughs> and I wanted, I wanted death to happen. I remember Amy's like, what's going on? I said, if a plane crashed into our house right now, I wouldn't care. I remember saying that to you. Yeah. I don't know why that's what I came up with. But yeah, a plane crashed right into our house. I'd be like, I don't care. I just don't care about anything anymore. Do not leave me alone. Do yeah. not let me leave this room. I don't know what's happening, but I think it's the drug I took. Yeah. Methotrexate is an anti-methylator, by the way. It stops methylation, which means it stops like cell division of important shit. So that includes neurotransmitters. So one of the side effects is like severe depression and suicidal ideation. And it's actually an anti-cancer drug too because it stops division of cells of like cancer cells but methotrexate is some serious shit like if you're ever prescribed that by the way i've never taken anything <laughs> like that in my life i don't know what was happening but yeah. i knew it was bad 
I yeah. knew it. So now I'm laying in bed. I got a bloody wound. I want to die, apparently, from this drug that I've taken. And I don't know how long it takes to wear off. I should never have taken it. I think we called and got you a different prescription. We did. Yeah. I didn't. I, I was threw like, that okay, no, you oh should be God, honest. Jesus what are we Christ. doing here? So anyway, if you have an ingrown hair. Go but s- not everyone's going to have that reaction, by the way. Methotrexate's no. fine Anyway, for that's the story of how an ingrown hair almost killed John Richards. Hey, 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 it's the doctor and the DJ, doctor and the DJ. Hey, 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 it's the doctor and the DJ, doctor and the DJ. On today's Doctor and the DJ podcast today, Dr. Lindsay, we have an amazing person. I am so, everyone stay tuned this interview. Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Dr. Hannah Ross is my dear friend and colleague, and she is an incredible pelvic physiotherapist and entrepreneur and mother of four children. And we don't just talk about the pelvic strength. We talk about all the things. All the things. If you are an entrepreneur, a parent, uh, if you have a vagina, penis, Anything in between, you'll enjoy this. Mm-hmm. It's a great interview. Hundred so, percent. Yep. And the music throughout this podcast, I'm very excited about, is from Fires. Fires, spell their name with an exclamation mark where the I is. I'm just telling you right now. They are a local band here in Seattle, and uh, they have our friend, the late Sean Smith, Aww. on some of the songs on this record, and I just love it. So we're going to be highlighting that throughout today's podcast. <laughs> The whole reason I told that story too was because of our guest that we have today, and and what I what made me think of it is just how much we don't know our own anatomy, how much we don't know our own bodies. She's going to be talking about how so many women post pregnancy think that's just how it's going to be. That's just that's just the thing. I'm just going to pee myself now, and I'm just going to you know like these have things. Pain with sex. Yeah, and- pain with sex. And I was um, I don't want get I don't, the interview is coming up in a minute, but. I learned so much during mm-hmm. this interview um, and just how much we don't also know our bodies, male or female or however you identify, like like how little we know about our anatomy and how our bodies work. It's I think about this in a way when I was thinking like, well, why don't I? And I think, well, when I went to school, you know, I can picture the old school biology books where the nerve, you can see little nerve endings and the bones and the... Like, that's all I know, really. Most people are familiar with the musculoskeletal system, yeah. for the most part, except for the pelvic floor, which is a whole bunch of muscles, or, you know, the main stuff, you know, where your heart and lungs are. Actually, most people don't know where the heart is. Drives me nuts. Whenever we're, like, doing the... Uh, sports. The sports. sports ball, where we all the stand up. The sports ball, and, and we stand up, and we, we do the anthem, anthem, and we do the... If you love America, you'll find out where your heart really is. Your heart is not just below your left shoulder, just FYI. It's, it's you know, I, uh, I had this plantar fasciitis I dealt with with my foot. And Amy um, said, well, it's because you have tight calves. And, I, and, and, and hey, just real quick, fellow dumb men, don't ever say back to that 
something like that. No, that's not it. That's not the reason. That's what I said. I said that out loud to someone who's medically trained. No, no, it's my foot. It's not my calf, Amy. You don't know what you're talking about. Seven years of medical school. Anyway, it shows you how dumb I am and about my body, about like how I don't know that that connects to my foot. Like, and I feel like I'm, I'm, I feel dumb, but I feel like that might be common. It's common. And I just want to say one thing about that. Yes. I live with you. Yeah. I know your body really well. Yeah, you do. And I know what your, your, your common complaints are, right? Like your common ailments and complaints. Yeah. And I've evaluated foot. your foot before and yeah. things like that. Cause you can have plantar fasciitis that develops, um, primarily in your foot, but usually it's tight calves. So, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, roll your calves. You. Yeah. Anyway, I just want to say that I know John's body well. And yeah. so I was confident in what I knew was happening, but, um, you should always advocate for yourself. Nevertheless, I do want to put that out there okay? because as a health professional and other health professionals will tell you this too, we depend on patient reporting. Like we literally need you to report everything yeah. you can think of and yeah. tell us. And I, you know, one question I always ask is, is there anything else you want to tell me, even if you think it's not related? I probably would have said to you, that's a, that's, yeah, that's so important. And sometimes that's the missing puzzle piece. Well, I would have said like, well, I don't know if I would remember to say, well, my calves are really tight. Yeah. And, and that would have probably alerted you if you, if you were just seeing me for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, you know, of course as a doctor, then there's all the objective stuff and the eval and, and you know, all the things that I know, but it is important to advocate for yourself, but it is common that a lot of people don't know their bodies that well. But that, isn't that the reason? Like if, if I, it, not just, I mean, maybe there's times you're maybe embarrassed or, or you maybe forget, but I would think think that like my issue, if I'm going to see the doctor and I have an issue with my foot, let's just say mm -hmm. that I wouldn't think to talk about all the other things. I would just, I would just be like, it'd just be, I'm a runner. My foot hurts. That's it. Well, and as a For healthcare instance. professional, you know, I know that that is also a trap. Yeah. Like you can very easily get sucked into a patient story about something and you really have to remain objective and make sure you're asking all the questions and make, you know, because it is common that something, some information I would need yeah. is not being told. And that's why I asked that last question. Yeah, yeah. I had a patient once where she had thought she had a kidney infection. So she's basically reporting all this stuff, thinking she had a kidney infection. Okay. And why this is important is because nothing she was saying was actually a sign or symptom of a kidney infection, right? But that in her mind, that's what she was thinking. And that's okay. I mean, that's why she came to the doctor because she needed support. She needed help. And I was like, I, you know, I'm listening to her story and I'm asking questions and she's basically saying no to all the questions she should say yes to if it was a kidney infection. Mm -hmm. And I do an exam and she doesn't have like the physical response or the pain or the sensations that she should have if she had a kidney infection, right? And so I'm like, huh, like what, what is going on here? And I finally said, is there anything else you want to tell me that you think is unrelated or something weird going on or just anything you think just, you know, what's the first thing that comes to mind? And she's like, oh, well, I have this weird, like pulsating feeling in my abdomen. And I'm like, what? And I do an exam and she has what felt like a giant abdominal tumor. 
And uh, I sent her immediately in to get evaluated. And yeah, she had like, Jeez. she had an abdominal tumor and it was pushing against all of her insides, which then in effect were giving her some of the symptoms that she was having. But see, even when there's, I mean, that's, I mean, ingrown hairs. You know, that... But what I'm saying is it's like you, you keep, keep going. Yeah. Keep talking, keep saying all the things. Yeah, like that was, that was going to say, that one was easy because it's just like specific. It's clearly that thing. But I remember going in, I probably told this story, but going in with my ringing in my ears and the doctor I saw just said, what do you do for a living? <laughs> it was part of it because you're a DJ, right? I said, yeah. He goes, well, stop being a DJ. And we didn't really go any further. <laughs> and it turned out. <laughs> so I went to another doctor. It was allergies. He asked me about allergies. Yeah. Yeah, he asked me about allergies. And that's when, and I don't think I've told this story, but that's, I said, yeah, but I take. Sudafed. I take Sudafed for this. He said, oh, you do? I said, John yeah. John was on the yeah. Sudi <laughs> for a while. <laughs> yeah, I was on the Sudi. And he says, this is like the earlier story when I took the Band-Aid off, his reaction. And he says, well, how often do you take it? I said, oh, I, every day. I take it every day. He goes, every day you take Sudafed? I go, yeah. He goes, for how long? I go, I don't know, a year? <laughs> he said, you know, they, they lock that up now. You know, it's like an ingredient in meth. I'm like, well, oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I go, I'm not Jones and Ford or anything. He goes, well, have you ever thought not to take it? I go, no, I need to take it every day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And I had to wean myself off the Sudi, Amy. Because he asked the questions. If he hadn't asked that, I never would have got off. I'd be, be, get me some Sudafed, man. Well, we're trained in school to follow the horses, not the unicorns. Yeah. Right. And and that's sometimes what's going on. And, And this is also to something you should remember that... Often what's going on, it is the horse, right? Like it is the most common thing that presents that way. You do have to always, though, um, do due diligence to make sure it's not a zebra, right? It's very unlikely. It's then a unicorn. You like all these uh, horse, zebra, unicorn. I mean, yeah, in medical school, uh, we learned about horses, zebras, and unicorns, how to um, go through our differential diagnosis. But, um, But it could be, right? And so it's just always important to, you know, do your best. I, I love it when patients come in and they just tell me everything. And I, that's why I always say, even the things you don't think are related. You didn't have to dissect a horse and a unicorn. No, and a zebra. no, no, no. no. Okay, it's good. just an analogy. Okay, good. Formed back in 2014, a lot of really, really good musicians in this band. They've been in tons of bands around town. To me, it harkens back to like old school Seattle sounds, early 90s uh, vibe on this. And Sean Smith, the late, great Sean Smith, a friend of mine, he passed a few years ago, uh, guested on this when they were recording the record. 
Uh, and at the end of this podcast, we have a song that he's on called The Lonely Sea. It's great. They're based out of Ballard here in Seattle, and um, I just love this record. Check him out on Bandcamp if you get a chance. The album is called High Five. Our podcast guest today is Hannah Ross. She is a passionate women's health advocate, clinical director of Vital Physiotherapy and Wellness, a women's health and pelvic health physiotherapy clinic in Midtown Toronto. And she hosts the podcast, She Has the Audacity. Her interest in women's health developed during her pregnancies with her four children, four, John, four, four kids. No comment. And um, she's also an entrepreneur and an all-around awesome human being. Welcome to the doctor and the DJ, Hannah. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I think John is reserving his comment now, but I can't wait to hear it later. <laughs> no, I, you have your hands full. And we who <laughs> think we have our hands full always appreciate hearing someone who may have more, more hands full of things. So yes, good for you. You grow more hands. That's right, you do. Yeah, that's right, you do. I mean, I grew up in a big family, and I know that my relationship with my mother was, there was a lot of separation because I had older siblings, and so the mothering happened with my older sisters. My older sisters were like my mom, and then my mom was like the CEO, and then my mom delegated. So I don't know if that's how it is in your household, if your oldest kind of takes care of the youngest, or how do, how do you do that? Or I always tell my kids, like, you know, just add this to the list you're going to talk to your therapist about. But my eldest was 10 when I had my youngest. So I always joked, like, I came home and I was like, here's your baby. Call me if you need anything. <laughs> so you've got the delegating going strong in the house. I, they're really independent, my kids. Like, it's, it, it's, I wouldn't even call it delegating. I'd call it educating. Like, my, I have four kids. My oldest right now is 13 years old, three girls and a boy. So eldest girl is 13, then 11 year old girl, eight year old boy. And my youngest is three and a half. And my 13 year old and 11 year old, they make, they make omelets. They like to bake, like they take the bus to and from school. Like they're as independent as they can possibly be at this age. Well, congratulations. Cause John and I always say our only job with our children is to raise them to be independent <laughs> and to be decent human beings, that's it, the end. Put a show check them, on that. Show them love. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, and it's it's fascinating. I mean, we can dive into this deeper if you want, but um, I'm a very good friend, and she's like, they, you actually, we, the things we try to control as parents are things we actually can't control, and what you just mentioned are probably one of the only things that we can control. Yeah. So gold star. I'm not writing a parenting book. So don't ask me anything else about parenting. <laughs> My parenting style is whatever gets me more sleep. It's pretty much what I like to say. Middle of the night, you want to come sleep with me? All right, pile into bed. There's some nights that we have three kids in our bed and one on the floor. There's, you know, we dog sat a week ago. We had a dog too. Like it's, yeah, I got no advice. <laughs> 
Well, Hanit, all all these kids, all these children that you've birthed bring us to your career choice. So Hanit is a pelvic health physiotherapist. And for our listeners, um, I am going to ask you to define that for people. And uh, the second piece to this is how you came to that career choice. And you mentioned it had to do with birthing all these babies, but um, I'll let Mm -hmm. you talk about that. Okay, amazing. Thank you. Um, So, okay, what's a pelvic health physiotherapist? We're like the gynecologist of physiotherapists, or in the United States, you guys call them physical therapists. Here in Canada, our title is physiotherapist. So we essentially are orthopedic physical therapists. Like I started off treating back pain and neck pain and sports injuries and like elbow injuries and all that kind of stuff. And I had two babies and two babies in, I had nonstop pain, pain with sex. I could not jump. I was really into P90X because that was my, that was my exercise of choice, which was a video set of videos. And they had this video called plyometrics and you would do what they called rockstar jumps. A rockstar jump is when you like jump up, kick both feet to your bum and you do a big rockstar strum. John, you must know rockstar jumps. You probably do that all the time, right? And every time I do a rockstar jump, I pee. I pee my pants. And I was like, oh. Um, and I went to see my doctor, and my doctor sent me for testing. And my doctor was like, oh, everything's good. See you later. And after my first baby, uh, my body bounced back, and I'm using air quotes. I was running marathons. I was training for half marathons and full marathons, and I was doing 10Ks and 5Ks, and uh, everything was fine. And all of a sudden, I was like, okay, apparently, this is what's supposed to happen. Nothing seems wrong with me, but I felt like my body was failing me. And I was embarrassed to talk about it. Um, I, I couldn't figure out why everybody else seemed to like bounce back. Last time, my body bounced back. And I, I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do. Um, nobody in the medical community that I knew could figure out what it was. They were like, that's what's supposed to happen. And a friend of mine who I worked with at this sports clinic, she was getting trained in pelvic floor physiotherapy. So pelvic floor physiotherapy in Canada is a delegated act. You are trained to do internal vaginal and rectal assessments in order to determine what is happening in the pelvic floor muscles. Pelvic floor muscles are a group of muscles that go front to back and side to side. Literally the muscles you sit on, there are Kegel muscles and It's their job to make sure that you are not leaking, to make sure that sex is both pain-free and healthy. They hold up all of our internal organs and they're part of our internal core system. And this friend of mine was like, I'll just assess you and, and we'll figure it out. Like, this is what I'm getting trained to do. And I was like, you're coming nowhere near me with those fingers. Keep your fingers in your hands. I'm not lying down. Like there was, there was no way in my mind because nobody was talking about this. It like nobody was having conversations about leaking. You know, my, my friends were like, Oh, you're having pain with sex. Just have a glass of wine. Like no big deal. You know, what did you expect? You had a baby. Of course you're going to leak when you giggle. They're so lucky. They're so cute. Like that was the level of conversation that we are having. And to me, this was so foreign. And quite honestly, even when I got trained, the conversations I was having with people was like, I'm sorry, you do what for a living? They were taken aback that this was even a thing. And I truly felt the same way. 
yada, yada, yada. I went to see my friend. She changed my life. I changed the whole course of my life. I became pelvic floor physio, opened a clinic, and now I do that for a living. Well, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, this is such an important conversation because to me, this is an and both conversation. Yes, while it's true, you know, your body changes so much after birthing a human and there is an expectation that you may not ever have the pre-baby body, quote, back. At the same time, you shouldn't have to suffer through some of the ailments that come with that or some of the body changes that come with it that actually there is a solution. There is a solution. Totally. You don't have to live like this forever. And and I think that because people don't want to talk about like you know, vaginas and, you know, pelvic floor muscles and in our culture in North America, Canada or the US that even with women who have been birthing these babies, it is kind of a hush hush conversation like get over yourself, you pee now when you laugh because you had a baby, or get over yourself, you know, sex is different now because you had a baby. And it's sort of this grin and bear it. That's the deal. You signed up for it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You you make 77, yep, 77 cents on the dollar. Just get used to it. That's just how it is. Yep. Sorry. Yep. that. And who am I to ask for more, right? Like, who am I to step in? It's like, everybody else seems to be okay with this. Like, why is it not okay for me? Um, and you're right. I think that there's this, like, there's this duality where it's almost like we expect our external body to look like it had never had babies, right? And the reality is once you're postpartum, you are always postpartum. Once your body is a body that has not only birth the baby, but been pregnant, you are always going to be a body that has been pregnant and given birth, regardless of how many years, how many decades postpartum you are. But at the same time as looking like you'll never had a baby, we also don't expect our bodies to function well. Like, of course you're going to pee. Why, why wouldn't you? As long as you don't have any abdominal, you can't see any history in your abs, you have your six pack and you bounce back to normal. As long as you look externally, like everything is so together, it doesn't matter what's happening internally. And it's the same thing emotionally. It's the same thing physically. It's the same thing functionally. We can be leaking and like having pain and feeling like we are not ourselves because our identity is so shifted after having babies all parents are different people when their babies are born, but we're not allowed to talk about that. We just have to like, look like we have it all together. And like, people ask me all the time, how do you do it all? I'm like, I don't, can we talk about the fact that we don't do it all? We're not expected to do it all. And our bodies, we can expect them to function well. We can expect them to do the things they're supposed to do, like hold and pee, like be able to have penetrative intercourse, like be able to lift weights, you know, after a person gives birth, if they have a C-section, they're told not to lift 10 pounds for six weeks. Could we set them up for failure more? You have a baby that you need to carry. Like we're just, the messaging is so odd all around, right? And I think that there's a real opportunity here to change the conversation. You can have a body that functions well. You're not expected, like, the idea of like nine months up and nine months down, I say 18 months, like it's 18 months before you're going to feel like, yes, I can really do this. This is my body. It's not going to be the same body. 
but it can be stronger. It can be more empowered. It can be, you, you know, you can feel more fulfilled, but not if we keep holding ourselves to these unrealistic expectations. I agree. You know, personally, I remember thinking, so my second child is my first birth. So I didn't birth my first child. And he was, how, how big was he? Nine something. Fucking eight. Right. He is a big like, fat baby. I gave birth to this big giant fat baby, right? And you literally gave birth to a watermelon. Yeah. And then I had a prolapse. And so I remember thinking in those early postpartum days, like, well, this is fucked up. Like, how, how do I walk and carry my baby? Like, my baby was so big and heavy, and I didn't have the, like, core strength and the pelvic floor strength to carry my baby. I'm like... Had a baby. I know. I remember <laughs> thinking, well, that's some cruel fucking shit, man. Like, Nature is hard. There's <laughs> a baby you can't carry. So I was like, here, John, here's the baby. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, I hope you've been lifting weights, man. You got to like carry this baby around because I can't, you know, and, and it's a real thing. And I, I'm sure a lot of people can, even if you didn't have, you know, a Henry sized baby like I did, what, you know, it's a real thing that you almost have to work out to, to be ready for that kind of thing. Or you actually need support around you. That's right. And, and we don't, like, we don't have to expect people to just be on their own. Like, here's a baby. See ya. That saying, it takes a village. Like, we really need a village because you need to recover physically and not pretend like there's, you didn't just have a baby. Yeah, we, my, my, our first son, who I had with my first wife, she had a C-section. And I remember them hurrying us out of that hospital as quick as possible. And I thought, first off, we're not qualified to have this child at home. I, I don't think you understand. <laughs> just, just tell us what to do. Yeah. What like, do, do I do? get, do I get instructions or anything? Cause like even the only thing we got done was right was the baby seat. And even that we were a little freaked out about. And, and we live like three blocks from the hospital. And I still was freaked out, but I remember thinking we got home and yeah, she had no strength whatsoever with the C-section and it, and it, it went on so much longer than we were told. And yes. I, and I remember yeah. having taking maybe two weeks off or something from my job and, and realizing this is, this is insane. Like I, I should be taking so much time off. And I, with, yeah. with the birth of Henry, the big fat baby, at, le at least we knew. Or they're known as the. <laughs> yes. And, and you know, do you know, baby. I don't know. You have four kids, but this is just a side note. Like, how you view your child is so different than kind of how you remember. Like, I thought Henry was was kind of big and, but whoa, what a cute kid. He's like the cutest baby ever. I look back now, I'm like, that kid is the fucking fattest thing I have ever seen. I can't even make out his features. He's just like this big. Rolls. He was just, just rolls. rolls. a beautiful baby, you know, and he was beautiful <laughs> in his own roly-poly way. But I, I look at that now and Amy's holding this giant baby and at the even at the time i thought i know this is this is dumb and i know so many people say the same thing but I'm like how did something that big come, come out, out of that woman mm -hmm. and how is she alive right now like how enter <laughs> hannah ross pelvic health physiotherapist right so i did go to a pelvic health physio you had a nine pound baby mm -hmm. i had a nine pound yeah. baby and my midwife yeah. said 
get thee to the <laughs> pelvic floor physio if you ever, because I was a runner, if you ever want to run again, honestly. Yeah. And not just that sort of, uh, oh, I've got to, you know, run long distances kind of thing, or I can't, you know, survive my life. But she was just telling me, like, listen, you need to do this. And, and I'm talking like, for when you get into perimenopause and menopause yeah. and like yeah. way later, unless you want to be in adult diapers for the rest of your life. <laughs> like, yeah. and, and I went and it was the weirdest. I remember the weirdest experience because, okay, baby in the bucket seat, right? First of all, I can barely carry this thing in there. And I remember walking into this physiotherapy clinic and there's all these people lifting weights and like getting their shoulders better and like doing all this stuff. And we almost not shamefully, but almost like secretively walk to the back mm-hmm. to the secret room, you know, where the pelvic health. Where they're going to do the secret things to you. Yeah, that's right. Wink. That's what I was told. Wink was like. Oh, God. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, that just brought back a memory. And he's like, if I hear wink one more time. <laughs> yeah, that that would be me like doing my quote kegels, right? Wink, and I was like, oh my god, right? right. And then the baby would cry, and then I was just like, oh my god, what is? <laughs> and then you're like, <gasps> you're so overwhelming. Yeah. So, um, in my clinic, we do it a little bit differently. Um, we treat from a holistic perspective, and part of that is actually done virtually. So we address the cause of the symptoms, not just the actual outcomes. A huge piece of, I'm going to use this word and I don't use it lightly, like the birth is traumatic for the pelvic floor and for the abdominals, whether you've delivered vaginally or via C-section. And our body goes into an automatic response. On top of that, one of the most, I'm going to frazzling times in our lives is those first couple of months postpartum where we're not sleeping, we're not eating, we have no idea what we're doing. You're not really thinking in your like prefrontal intellectual part of your brain. You are just doing as much as you can do to stay alive. And so during those times, essentially of fight or flight, our pelvic floor has direct ties to our nervous system. And when you're running away from a tiger, it doesn't really make sense to just like take a pee break or grab a quickie with your honey in the in the bushes, right? Like your pelvic floor actually goes into perma kegel. Like it just turns on and it's held there while you're running away from the tiger. And you're running away from the tiger for the first nice chunk of postpartum. And so we actually have to downregulate your nervous system to teach you to breathe and release and calm down. It makes sense. Like a lot, we have a lot of clients who come in, they're like, I've been kegeling and nothing's working. And I'm like, you've, You've actually got that activation piece. Like if I was doing a bicep curl, you got that part down. What we have to work on is actually the release part so that your muscles are actually available to you. So, you know, I'm listening to you talk and I'm thinking, maybe I have perma like <laughs> perma. It's never perma. No, yeah. seriously. So I think I think about how stress affects our mental health. We're in chronic stress. So I think as a society, we are in chronic stress. We have this perception of danger. We have a perception of the tiger that you were mentioned. Mm -hmm. We're always running from the tiger. And then I think, okay. We're getting tired running after it. We're exhausted, right? Mm -hmm. And now Mm -hmm. you're linking our pelvic health to this. And I just 
I wonder, you know, I don't think people consciously think when they're thinking about stress reduction that they're thinking about their pelvic floor. Mm-mm. And and what would no. you say are like the long-term effects of that on mental health? So, I mean, one of the interesting things is, is that when we start to think about how the pelvic floor works, the pelvic floor works is as part of a system between your diaphragm, which is your breathing muscle, your inner abs, and your inner back muscles. So when you take a breath in, your diaphragm is like right below your lungs, and it actually descends down into your abdominal cavity so your lungs can take in more air. Um, when it descends down, your pelvic floor actually should relax. And when you exhale, you breathe out, and that's when your pelvic floor should naturally turn on. And so when we're in this fight or flight, we actually start breathing. There's more upper chest breathing, right? We're not actually using our breathing muscles. Um, your digestion slows because your diaphragm, when it's pushing down and coming back up, actually massages your digestive system and helps things move through you. Um, You can't sleep as well when we're in fight or flight, which actually means that your pain is going to be higher. So I I feel like a lot of people come to see me because muscles are very tangible. So when they come in, they may not have necessarily seen a mental health um, professional yet. They may not have seen somebody about their digestive system yet because they're not ready to give up gluten and dairy and all those pieces. But from a pelvic health perspective, they're willing to control the controllables, which are muscles. And so they come in expecting for us to like teach them Kegels. And I start to talk to them about meditation and calming the nervous system and their self-talk. Like if you're telling yourself that you're constantly not doing things correctly, well, you're actually just reinforcing that that sympathetic nervous system, which puts us further into stress, which is going to actually activate your pelvic floor even more. and also allow you to sleep and postpone your digestive system working well and all that, that whole cascade of events. So if I can get them, we tell people what they want, we're going to give you your abs back. And then we actually give them what they need, which is slowing down and being and actually listening to their system. I, I like to say we can't change the stressors outside of us, but what we can do is we can alter our capacity within ourselves to manage those stressors. She used the word capacity, John. What do you think of that? John and I talk about capacity all the yeah, time. Yeah, we do. We do. I, I hear do words you? like that. It makes me happy to hear, actually. Yeah. It's really good to talk about that. Um, what would you say to John and male-bodied people about this topic? Mm. And and I don't know if you see male-bodied people in your practice, but how does pelvic floor translate to like a male-bodied person? So first of all, whether you were born with a uterus or without, you have a pelvic floor. And it serves the same purposes. Um, Our marketing and I would say 60% of our caseload are perinatal female identifying humans. 20% are those who are in and around menopause. And then 20% are male identifying, young female identifying athletes or other people who are along the gender continuum. Um, I love when we work with individuals who identify as male because they come in, they're, they're coming in for their sexual health. And then we're identifying later on that, oh yeah, I'm peeing myself, but that doesn't sort of motivate them. Like women are coming in, they're like, I'm peeing when I, when I run and I need my running. And then we find out like three hours into our interview that they haven't had sex in five years because it hurts them. But men have pelvic floors too. We often see them for incontinence after prostate cancer surgery or um, or issues with orgasm. Like we, we really see men for a finite amount of time 
because you send them home with homework and they do it and they reach their goals. Now, huge generalization, but we it's interesting because when we're working with newer mothers or younger or younger parents, they actually don't have the time or energy to necessarily allocate to the homework or they put themselves so far down the list that they're not actually going to do it, right? I'll do it once I achieve all these other things throughout the day. I check off everything else on my list. But when I'm working with my male identifying clients, you give them homework, they're like, okay, number one. Does that resonate? That for dudes? Yeah, that checks out. Well, we should be putting ourselves first, <laughs> right? And this is, yes. this is a common thing that women tend to put, we're trained to put everybody, uh, everybody else's needs above our own. And then yeah. we feel guilty about it. So then link that to pelvic floor health and then link that to stress and then link that to sexual health and everything else. And I think we just checked all the boxes of 100% of my patient population. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. Well, and, and by the way, then they feel like failures because they haven't done, they haven't excelled right. at their physio. Um, so it's another reason why they're, why they're failing, but they're failing because they determine that they're not important enough to do the homework, but it's this huge cascade of events. And I was just going to, yeah, I was just going to ask about that. But my, uh, the other thing I was going to say too is, and I'm sure the support just knowing men is, is not supportive. Like you should just feel better or you should just get over it or you should. And then ironically, I'm not going to really support you in the time it actually takes to fix the thing that's frustrating me. So that's got to just rack right. your mental health and, and your relationship. And there's got to be, re- and then resentment right. because you, you, you already feel, I imagine, um, so unlike yourself, and then you have a person telling you, you know, get better, get over it. It's an identity crisis for sure um, for for women. But I will also say that, it, you know, there's this like fine balance between like advocating for ourselves and saying this is what I need, and hoping that if you ha- you know if you have a partner, hoping they can read your mind and being like, why doesn't why doesn't he know I need this? Why doesn't she know I need this? And also you know, needing both partners to say like, how can I support you? But I don't know. When I had my first child, there were three others. So like, you know, <laughs> by my fourth, I was like, honey, nobody's coming in. Like every morning after I had my baby, like nobody is coming to talk to me that, you know, until 12 o'clock every day for six weeks. Like I am sleeping and you are taking this baby or you are finding somebody to take this baby so that I can sleep. Took me four, but I got there, you know, but the... It's, it's hard to even know what you need when you don't know what you don't know. I think there's this pervasive belief system that we're supposed to know naturally what to do. Yes, it's so natural. It's so natural. It's like, you know, even like breast or chest feeding, like you're supposed to know it's not so painful. It's not painful. It's the most natural thing. And then if you, oh my God, God forbid, even mention, mention a bottle. Well, I didn't have to do that. And, you know, Susie down the street didn't, didn't use bottles. Like there's this real, um, like there's this mom shaming that happens and it's just really all of us trying to figure out, well, what is the standard? And the reality is there's no standard. Like you got to figure out what works for you. Um, but we think that everybody else knows what's better for us than we do. And I think it's the self-trust piece that um, we really need to cultivate and stop. We're all consumers and thinking that there's all this other stuff that makes us better parents. My my brother-in-law 
um, he, he's going to kill me for saying this. Anyhow, my brother-in-law. We won't let him listen to this podcast. Well, he's a ba- he's a purveyor of baby goods. He's uh, he he wholesales baby goods to stores, and he white he white labels them for stores. And when you ask him what he does for a living, he's like, "Oh, I sell useless shit to people who don't need it." Oh, okay. <laughs> But we believe that we need it to be good parents. And so we buy all of it. Do you, can I ask about the generational divide maybe? Like, because there's so much advancements now. I assume these conversations weren't taking place to both of your parents when they had you. So is it, you're sort of out on a new frontier as far as that's concerned? Like the information you're getting from the past generations are, well, this is how we did it. Because when you said that, well, I never used a bottle or, well, it you know worked for me. Yeah. Has that, I mean, what kind of effect do you think that has had on people's knowledge? What's interesting is the internet. Let's, let's delve into that. Um, I had my first baby when I was 25. There really, like nobody was on Facebook. Like maybe I was using it to share some pictures of like trips that I took. Um, I had my my final baby. She is the final baby. When I was <laughs> well, there goes the follow up. Okay, all right, final baby. <laughs> we can get a dog. That's what I told my husband. We can get a dog if you want. Um, and my siblings had babies more than ten years later, and like they were looking for formula, they were posting onto Facebook, you know, or to Instagram, whatever. Like, what's the best formula to use? And I was like, why would you go to these strangers on the internet to ask these deeply personal questions? I don't even understand it. But it is truly a generational divide, right? We're like, we're crowdsourcing how to parent. I just mm-hmm. asked my mom, did you, did you use formula? Or like, I'd go in and see what formula there is and see what my kid liked. And like, we, we've almost taught this new generation of parents that self-trust isn't a value, that trusting everybody else is how we, is how we learn how to parent. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, so I'm thinking two ways about it. I think, you know, we go several generations back, right? There's no internet and it was passed down as folklore, right? I mean, it right. was passed down like this, Um, generational game of telephone that is pervasive, right? From, you know, your grandmother's grandmother did this and then that grandmother's grandmother did that. And the way we learned as humans was, you know, of course, through experience, our own experiences, but it was this knowledge sort of passed down through generations for better or worse, right? Because if you weren't uh, getting information from other people, you were just kind of always doing what your family system and what your family uh, paradigm was, right. right? And then you enter the age of information and technology and the industrial revolution, and people are not living close to where they were born anymore. You know, everybody's sort of scattering about. And then we got really, we got away from that sort of, I guess, an older knowledge or an older wisdom. And I think there's actually a big need to kind of come back to that. But then we're looking for it on the internet. (laughs) Like we're looking for it. Like we're wanting that community knowledge or that community wisdom, that village, like you mentioned, we're wanting the village wisdom. But then what we're doing is we're going to Facebook and it's, it's Facebook wisdom. (laughs) Right. Right. Like the, uh, when I had my first baby, I moved into my parents' house. Like my mom gave my baby my first bath, her first bath. Like I watched her do it. She was somebody who had given lots of babies baths. And I like for 
two weeks we lived with her because I was like, I don't know idea what I'm like. We're, again, like we're, like what John said, like they hand you your baby and you're like, but what do I do with it? <laughs> and now what? Right. And so I, I think that the idea of it takes a village, like we, we really truly do need support. Um, and if we don't physically have, we, you know, we go home to our, wherever we live by ourselves. And if we haven't partnered with our partner and we used to live in these multi-generational homes where everybody was helping out, where, you know, you look at different cultures, like there's, there's this, there are so many cultures where like the mother is coddled for months and genuinely taken care of for that fourth trimester, those three months postpartum when like your baby's too big to actually be inside of you, but is still genuinely growing and needs nurturing and needs to be held. Um, and now we go home to our cold houses by ourselves and there's nobody to take care of us. And we're not in a state where we can genuinely take care of a baby. We're really left out on a limb. And so Facebook, here we come. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I think the uh, fourth trimester isn't talked about enough. And I think what happens is, is that there's a lot of attention paid to pregnant people. When you're pregnant, yeah. everyone, and we just were talking about this the other day. Like, first of all, don't ever touch a pregnant woman. I swear to no. God, don't touch pregnant people. Don't like grab their belly. Mm-hmm. I, you're going to get hit in the eyeballs or you should um but anyway I mean, unless you touch lots of people who are pregnant too and that's like yeah. totally do you go up and like grab people's <laughs> stomachs that's, that's and like problem. uteruses and like what <laughs> anyway that's a whole other problem don't do that okay sorry i have to get that in but um there's a <laughs> lot you. of focus when the baby's on the inside yeah the second the baby's on the mm. outside it's almost like the person who just gave birth is discarded like okay good luck and then and then all the focus goes to this infant and you see it like people coming over to meet the baby they're just kind of like hand me that baby let me hold that baby and and in an effect it um it does help you know the recovering um mother but i think if they're not hosting if they're not not like playing (laughs) making snacks Right, right. And 100%. Like we've got when you say I think about like my prenatal care in the like the month leading up to when I birthed my baby, I was being seen once a week, if not more. And then postpartum, I mean, here I deliver I delivered with midwives and they've got like a two day uh, follow up and a one week follow up and then a two week follow up and then six week follow up. That was with my fourth child. I left the hospital and I came back at six weeks for my other three. Like nobody followed up with me. And I, for my, the midwives come to your house at two days and at one week, because those are actually well baby visits. Those are visits for the baby. That's Your right. baby gets a, like a two day appointment, a one week appointment, a two week appointment. And nobody, ch- you're, you're literally treated like a vessel. Like I liked it. I purposefully use the term birth and not delivery because the mother is not a delivery person bringing the package into the world. <laughs> She's not? Oh, wow. weird. <laughs> I've never, Surprise! well, I'm never using that again. Thank you. That's that. Okay. That makes right? sense. We, yeah, it's yeah. Like a mail carrier. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like that's where the story, story comes from. It. Here you go. Exactly. <laughs> you weren't home, so we left at the door. <laughs> we left at the door. Can somebody sign for it? Um, yeah, it's a it's 
it's really, really interesting. And, and then we treat ourselves in that way too. Like, oh, at least my baby's, I, you know, my uterus is falling out and I'm peeing all over the place. I can't control my bladder, but at least the baby's healthy. I, I think that the baby being healthy and well is as important as the mother being healthy and well. Like, and right away we start minimizing ourselves. At least the baby's healthy. That's what that, what you else should to, be grateful, who am I? You yeah, should be grateful. Who am I to ask for more, right? Yeah. And, and, and that's our rhetoric. That's how we talk about the birthing person is at least the baby's healthy. Nothing else to ask for. There's nothing else on this list, very long list of things that we should expect. I, I sense some sarcasm there in the, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. If you looked at a list, if you, when you say it like that, the list for the baby would be, you know, massive Then there'd be nothing. Oh, right. she's fine. She's fine. Speaking of this long list of things that we need as humans, um, Hannah, how on earth do you run multiple clinics and raise four children and do a podcast and, and, and. And make great uh, Instagram reels, by the way. Oh, my gosh. You got to check out Hannah Ross on her Instagram's the best. It takes a lot to break through, but she has. They're great. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my sarcasm apparently translates on Instagram. <laughs> yes, so go figure. <laughs> um, how do I do it? I don't. I don't do it all. I have a lot of people that help me. My expectations. I'm a recovering perfectionist. So it's a long recovery. But I, I have a lot of things that I streamline, i.e. my kids eat the same thing every Monday. It's the same dinner. Every Tuesday, it's the same dinner. Every Wednesday, it's the same dinner. So my groceries are the same. I order them. They get delivered to my house. Like, I, I'm, I'm not, I, I say, like, nothing is Pinterest perfect in my life. Like, there, if my kids need a costume for school, I'm like, can you go downstairs and see in the basement if we have anything? And if not, then let me know and we'll figure it out. But I, I'm not sewing anything. Like, I, my expectations are fairly low for things that are not super priorities for me. I, I really try to get really, really clear on my values and my priorities. And that's like my health, my well-being, my kids' well health and their well-being, my clients' health and well-being, my practitioners, my staff. And then I try to have fun with it. I am also, hi, my name's Amy. I am also a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> I feel Hi, like we need a circle. Amy. Yeah. <laughs> when did you first? Learn? I'm holding your hand. No, when I was in school and I would underline my math equations with a ruler, it became apparent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah. <laughs> it's. I'm like I'm. I'm very far from there, but it's far. This recovery is far from over. Tell me about your recovery, Amy. I I am very clear. I'm from a family. There are 14 children in my family, and I was number 11. But as number 11 of 14, you're not seen. Does that make sense? You're like, you're you're head counted. And so the way I got it, some people got attention by crashing my mother's car Mm -hmm. or whatever. I got attention by straight A's and being an accomplished ballerina and being an accomplished pianist and being an accomplished like basketball and volleyball and you name it, I was doing it and I wasn't only doing it, I was excelling at it because it was the only way my parents stopped 
counting heads and went, oh, good job. Or, oh, I see you. I'm with you. Like name a, name a, name some form of competitive something you could participate in. I was president of student council. I was on the basketball team. I was you know, like, same, with her ruler, underlining thing. shit, just Get like, <laughs> and, and multicolored highlighters too. Oh, no. Oh, I still have that going on. That's still going on. That's right. Um, John, you are, you have an incredible work ethic, Mm. but do you think of yourself as a perfectionist or a recovering perfectionist? Um, I have ADD, so it's impossible to consider for me. I, I, I've never considered myself that. I always think I'm failing at everything because I, I feel like I can't finish things. I, I can't. Like I, I am though, because I think of things like laundry, which I do the laundry here. And thank God what drives me crazy thank is, you. thank you, John. It, thank you. But what, thank you. what kills me inside about it is it never ends. It, it, it never it, ends. And I need things to end. So when I finish, I look over, I'm like, what the fuck are these pants doing here? Who put these <laughs> pants here? Who wore pants today? That's right. That's right. They, they don't smell. <laughs> Why are they here? You lazy assholes. You just want me to wash them. That's usually my first reaction. And then I realized they're only my, wear these they're my pants. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think I am. And, and it's okay. Well, let me, it's a mix of um, being a control freak. And perfectionism, like I have trouble with those two things because they feel like they blend together a lot. Like I need it to be a certain way. And I've let that go as well. And when you talk about balance uh, in your life with your kids and your businesses and, and just all the things that I, I'm, I hear you, I totally get that one. And that 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 if you can't do that, you can't do other things because you'll just never be able to, to let those things go. So I think I am. But I just I, I feel like. All the time, I'm guy. just. I, Hi, <laughs> okay, see, I'm. This is sad. I'm in the meeting, and there's two people who've admitted it, and I'm the person who just walked in and went, "I think I am, but maybe not." But I, okay, John, just sit down. Have it. We have some snacks and some coffee in the back, and some you pamphlets. Need, you need to talk about this more. Do you have pens? Yeah. I'm like, well, Amy gave me some and some post-its. <laughs> I use I, I use them now, so. <laughs> I do. They're everywhere. Look at this. I never, I never you can't see this on a podcast, but this, this, this is not how I started. Look at, Are they neon? Are they yes. Neon? Yes. And so then I one think of, what he's saying one is of them says, oh my God, she gave me that. I don't know what oh, that means. The other it is what the fuck. So <laughs> I, I think I slowly, I feel like I've learned to let things go, mm-hmm. but there are certain things on my list, I guess like, when you talk about priorities, that's where I'm the perfectionist. I want those things that I'm focused on to be done right. And I can let that other stuff go, though. So I think there's always going to be a level of that. Does that make sense? Like the big ticket items. Yeah. I really yeah. want to be done right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I don't want my kids to walk around being assholes. Like, I want them to be nice there, people. Yes. I feel very strongly about <laughs> yes. that. Yeah. But, like, if. Again, if they're wearing pants that are three days old and my son really likes to wear his t-shirts backwards, like, I'm like, oh, he's wearing a shirt. It's cool. Like, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get too fixated on that. Um, whereas like a lot of, you know, I have a lot of friends and they're like, their kid's hair is always done right. And they're, mm-hmm. you know, like their shoes, their kid's shoes are matching, for example. And I'm like, all right. Yeah, I had, Amy, Amy, I had a thought today, our oldest, I thought when was the last time we bought him some clothes? Like it hit me because <laughs> he may have stopped growing. 
is the only reason we buy children clothes. So this is a heads up. If your child is getting in those ages where they may slow down and growing, you might forget to ever buy them clothes again because that was really the only thing that set me off. Like, hey, Henry can't walk. Those shoes are like a size too small. But but as far as them being good humans and good people on this earth, that is all we care about. That is where we are very, very concerned. Like, and, and I think they are. So we've done our job. So who cares if their shoes don't fit, you know, to a point. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think, you know, and this is like, it's something that I, you know, when I, when I talk about like who are the clients that are like, they're sort of like magically connected. I connect with them. They, they find me. They're like, they're the type A perfectionist. And like, that's because that's me. Right. And I, the the value that I think I bring as uh, a therapist is like, I'm just like, I'm just one step ahead. Like I'm just figuring it out. Like I, I don't have it perfect. Like I haven't perfected not being a perfectionist. (laughs) (laughs) I would think that's very comforting to people coming in too. If you have that to hear you just be, I'm sure you're super honest too about like, Hey, I, you know, yeah, I don't lie. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you and Amy um, have that in common. <laughs> that's why we love her. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that that's, you know, and even um, as you were saying, John, like the ADD, I, like I had a lot of learning disabilities growing up mm-hmm. and nobody, but nobody assessed me for ADD because I'm a girl. I, I, you know, like, and a lot of what happens now in life, I'm like, yeah, like I, I just think I have, like I have a million ideas and I, my brain goes like at a mile a minute and I'm like, uh-huh slow like you can't be a perfectionist if i think the perfectionism came as a controlling measure for Mm -hmm. all those other pieces right and and yeah just uh, achievement became a way for me to be like okay i am i am good i am a good girl and pat myself on the back (laughs) when our oldest was diagnosed for being adhd he was sitting and talking to the doctor and i was standing behind him and as the doctor's talking I was just like, I, my eyes just kept getting more and more like this. Like, what the fuck? He's explaining my entire childhood. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. And then you get the book about how to be a parent to an ADD. And I'm reading it concerned about my son, but everything I'm reading is A, this is about me. And B, my mom, mm. she didn't have this book. So how the hell did she deal with me? And so these things that take so long to die, and you know from our conversation that we're, we're having currently, it's, 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 so frustrating that these tools have taken so long. And I guess my, my question too, is just as we near the end of this is is just what can be done for, for people to know more about what you're doing and know, and that ADD analogy, I think works, you know, that, that, that women are probably discovering this as they see you. Correct. Right. 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 So I, I think that the, um, the more that I talk about public health, the more I talk about women's health, the more I talk about women's mental health, the more I realize nobody's talking about it. So my advice, like I, I, and I was ashamed when I needed, I needed this care. And then I discovered, oh, actually I can, I can talk about vaginas all day. Go figure. Like who saw that coming? Not me. Um, and, and I think we just need to keep talking about it. Like let's normalize the discussion that, we need support. Like I'm, I'm not a, as much as I really, really, really try. I'm not a superhero. I don't, I hate the term superwoman. Like when people are like, Oh, you're such a superwoman. No, I'm not. Like I ask for help now. 
as much as I can. And I think that we can normalize asking for help and we can normalize like trusting ourselves. Like if your brain is like, huh, like this doesn't feel right. And people are like, no, 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 that's what you can expect. Like let's, let's normalize trusting that intuition that says maybe you need some support. Cause I, I, I don't want, I don't want to create, um, a, um, a conversation around how there's something wrong with women postpartum. That's not what I want to say. It's not a diagnosis that you need support. It's just like women go through more changes in throughout pregnancy and postpartum than any of their male counterparts will go through in their entire lifetime. Mm. And so we do, it does take a village and part of that village deserves to be pelvic floor physio. Do you think um, part of the reason women don't seek health or they just try to toughen up is because we are in kind of a, a achieving oriented, almost fractured male society where um, there's an element of proving ourselves. Totally. And and there's also a, the, the really hard part about um, a holistic approach to pelvic physio is like, we need to slow the fuck down. And that is really hard for us. Like the fact that we need to stop, pay attention to our bodies. Like we've just disregarded ourselves as, as valuable. And we also need to, like, we've also just really valued things happening now and quickly and rehab and recovery doesn't like slow is a new fast. There's no fast way to recover. You actually have to do it slowly. Um, and it's, it's hard. It's really, really hard. It's frustrating. Yeah. I think, um, I also don't think at least in the States and I think in Canada, you, you don't have the same uh, postpartum benefits as say, I don't know, what's a country like that you France, hear about? France, Germany, Switzerland, like, Germany, yeah, like, Switzerland. Yeah. Um, where like this is like standard of care. Yeah. Where the, the work benefit mandates do not match the mental and physical reality of postpartum. Yeah. And so but here in Canada, you get a year. You guys get like what? I don't know, six Depending days. Are, like, six I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's, six it's weeks or five week. weeks or something. Right. And then what happens is then the work culture then informs people what they think is what's mm. supposed to be. I remember thinking that, like, I'm supposed to be fixed in six weeks. Why am I yeah. still not fixed? Why is my right. vagina still collapsing and I feel like shit and, like, you know. Um, I remember There's, thinking it's totally that. totally arbitrary, that six weeks, by the way. like It's arbitrary. It's not based on science. Arbitrary. It's not based no. on no, actual needs of people. It's just, I think this is how much we can tolerate you being gone and pay you a benefit. Yeah. Honestly, I think that's it. That's what informs it. This is bullshit. Yeah, like that, th we know that like tissue healing takes not only six to eight weeks, like it takes that 12 weeks for your body to heal, but not recover. Like we, we have to rehab from these massive changes that our body has gone through. And that six to weeks, six weeks is like the very first moment where some, like if you had a C-section or you'll have vaginal uh, pelvic or pelvic floor scars, like 
that tissue is now starting to articulate and start to form a scar, but it's not functioning. It's not rehabilitated. It's just not a gaping hole anymore. And if that's our standard of care, then like we have a far hill to climb. And I look at as that I look at that as like that's an opportunity, an opportunity to support people. Yes, and um, I say this all the time, but we we really have industrialized faster than we've evolved. And yeah. our industrialization in modern society doesn't actually reflect what is healthiest or most beneficial or doesn't even reflect science. <laughs> like no, what no, is going 100%. on with us? And yet there's this demand. There's this demand in our culture and it's killing us, frankly. I mean. Yeah. I think I, I heard uh, the other day that like we're probably, our, our kids are probably the first generation in a long time that's going to die earlier than our generation because of these pieces, because we're actually not t- taking the time to care for ourselves. Like we're on the screens all the time. We're like, that, like we're just want things to happen fast. And when I speak to other healthcare practitioners, we're actually all saying the same thing. The mental health therapist, the naturopath, the functional medicine specialist, like everybody's just saying, just slow down, like cultivate, like calm, breathe, meditate. I literally just dropped my shoulders when you just started talking. Okay, wait, okay, keep. I'm like this. Calm down, slow down, (laughs) drop your shoulders, unclench your jaw. Yeah, take a deep breath, grow from the ground. Yeah, like. A lot of these things, and and yet when we, and we're all saying the same thing, and we're all approaching it from different angles, but we're all trying to achieve that same thing, which is just like, we're human beings, we're not human doings, let's just slow the fuck down. And on that note. <laughs> I was going to leave it on gaping hole, but if you want to leave it on uh, slow the fuck down. <laughs> I'm not in charge. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's it's been, awesome. been a delight having you and it's super important conversation. I'm so glad you could join us. I'm so happy to be here and thank you for having me. hope that you will listen to this podcast a couple of times because we talked about a lot of important stuff that we don't normally talk about. And she's based in Toronto, Toronto right? Yeah. I'm not sure if we mentioned that, but she's in Toronto up in, up in Canada. And uh, yeah, I just, she's awesome. Mm-hmm. And her uh, podcast, you're going to, you're going to be on the podcast. I am. Right? So her podcast is, she has the audacity. She has the audacity. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. She's a feminist. That's good. Lover. I'm going to be signing up for that podcast. Yeah, and so I'm going to be a guest on that. Um, I'm not sure when it gets published. I think you'll be a good guest. You have some experience. <laughs> I like interviewing. Being audacious. I, yeah, I like interviewing other 
podcasters, other hosts like mm-hmm. Nick's and we interviewed Nick uh, recently. He has a podcast and others, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're all kind of, we know what we're doing. And she was great. I just love that. So yeah. And pass that on to other people too. I really think people get a lot out of the interview. Pass on this podcast in general, the doctor mm-hmm. and the DJ, more and more people are finding it, which is awesome. Uh, but make sure you tell people about it, especially that interview and, uh, and go back and check out the other ones as well. Um, and a big thank you. Uh, for the time spent on this podcast, and that includes our friends over at Ruinous Media. Thanks Joe, for making us, Pat, and Chris, and yeah, Jay. Yeah, thanks for making us sound good. And uh, our sponsors, Wonderground, of course, making the world's most delicious mushroom coffee and tea. That is how I started my day today, drinking some yeah, of their coffee. we drank a little brainchild. That's right. And uh, Minor Figures, we had the, what did we have yesterday? Oh, we had the Yerba Mate oat milk. Oh, my God. The I oat know. milk lot, the yerba yes. latte, ma- what? Not it, matcha. It's yerba mate latte. It was yeah. so good. I so know yummy. They're not. They're helping pay for this podcast. They're not. This is extra content their way because it was that delicious that mm-hmm. I'm mentioning it. Check us out on social media as always. The doctor and the DJ on Instagram as you can find us and online on our website. You can get more information about all the stuff we're up to. What else, Amy? I don't know. Let's Dr. hear some Amy. more music. We got more music. Again, I'm really a big fan of Fires. Again, spelled F exclamation mark R E S. And uh, they have a new album called High Tide. And uh, this song, as I mentioned earlier, features our friend Sean Smith as well on this track, The Lonely Sea. A beautiful song and uh, a beautiful podcast today. Good work, Doctor. Good work, DJ. <laughs> You're not alone.